You're listening to the Pre-Health Spotlight Podcast with Garrett Lay and Retwan Bandiopadian. All right, welcome to the Pre-Health Spotlight Podcast. Uh, this is a new thing. Um, I'm here with my friend Retwan, and basically he started a club um, that he'll tell you a little bit about in a second. Um, but before we tell you exactly what you're about to listen to, what the Pre-Health Spotlight is and everything like that, um, I think some introductions are in order. So my name is Garrett Lay, and I'm a sophomore politics and philosophy major here at Pitt. And like I said, I'm joined by someone very special to the Pre-Health Spotlight organization, and that is its founder and its president, Mr. Retwan Bandiopadier. Hey, everyone. It's Retwan. I'm a bioengineering major here at Pitt, and um, so... The whole thing with the pre-health spotlight, it's an idea that I had myself last semester, and my friends and I put it together and started it this past spring. You know, I felt that a pre-health spotlight multimedia service would be something that would be relevant and useful to students on a campus that's as health sciences oriented as the University of Pittsburgh is. So, yeah, I have very high hopes for how this pans out over the years. Yeah, I think it's going to do great. Um uh, for me, I uh, I have not much experience in pre-health. I originally came into school thinking I would be a pre-health major or on the pre-health track. I don't know if that's what I'm going to do now, but I do have some experience here uh, in the podcasting realm, so hopefully I can actually pull my weight here in this club. Um, now that we've established who we are, it makes sense to share a little about uh, a little bit about what we're going to do on this show, and so I'll let Retwan explain a little bit about this because it is, of course, his club. <laughs> yeah, so on this podcast, what we'll be doing is discussing emerging topics in medicine. So what I mean by that is that this is kind of going to serve as a current events panel for the biomedical sciences. We'll, we'll constantly be keeping an eye out for new and interesting developments in the field, and then we'll share our coolest findings with you guys right here. All right. I think that's enough background. So let's actually get to dropping some knowledge about our topic for this week. And this week, we're going to be talking about AI and medicine. Um, you can also find an article on AI and medicine in the actual physical pre-health spotlight, um, which is going to be on their website, uh, which we will talk about at the end here. Um, it's an article written by some of our friends, Aman Rahman and Jade Chang. It's a great article. It's where we got a lot of our info. Um, so we'll be talking about some of the stuff they talk about there, but if you want more information or to see where we get some of our info, you can check out that article to see their sources and everything like that if you're really interested. Um, so I thought a great place to start when it comes to AI is actually saying um, what AI is because I think it can be a really confusing topic for a lot of people. I think a lot of people get lost in it. Um, and thanks to Hollywood and sci-fi novels, it's easy to misconstrue AI simply as a reference to like scary robots or metallic <laughs> boxes with growing red eyes bent on destruction like Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. But this really isn't the kind of AI that we're going to be discussing today. It's just one of the three levels of AI as explained by Tim Urban in his article on artificial intelligence uh, on waitbutwhy.com. Yeah, so Hollywood AI is what Urban calls artificial superintelligence, or ASI for short. ASI is defined by the philosopher Nick Bostrom as, quote, an intellect that is much smarter than the best human brains in practically every field. And that's including scientific creativity, general wisdom, 
and social skills. And as you're guessing by hearing this, this type of artificial intelligence is not even close to what's being implemented in today's hospitals and clinics. But because it's something that is likely to become a reality at some point, just because of how quickly we develop our technologies, I think it's important to bring up. Yeah, this is the crazy stuff that you see in movies and everything like that. We just thought we should mention it because it's what people think of when you think of AI. Mm -hmm. But really, super intelligence is kind of its own thing. Um, So we just want to talk about it real quick. Right. Um, Very far down the line in the future, not necessarily relevant to medicine. Yeah, that would be when the doctors you're actually interacting with are literally robots and not people, which we don't see coming for a while. But you never know. So yeah, we gotta we gotta talk about it anyway. (laughs) Um, So the tier below uh, artificial superintelligence is something called artificial general intelligence or AGI. Uh, This type of AI is one that's as smart as humans across the board and is able to do things like reason, solve problems, and think outside the box in a variety of fields just like people do. Um, So this one, it kind of, I know, sounds like artificial superintelligence, but the key term for superintelligence is that it's literally, it's better than people. General intelligence Mm -hmm. is going to be pretty much on the same playing field. Now, it might be on the same playing field as, like, experts in their field, like, super, like, like someone with a PhD. Like, it's going to be a a robot that has a PhD, basically. (laughs) But it's not going to be anything, like, it isn't smarter than every human ever at everything. Exactly. That's not what we're talking about with uh, AGI. Once again, it's not really fully there yet. I mean, we're getting close with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But once again, we just wanted to mention it because that's even closer in the future than artificial superintelligence. So we thought we should mention that real quick as well. As far as AI research goes today, AGI is kind of the most immediate destination on the horizon. It's really what we're trending towards. And it's really exciting because we're creating, you know, humans on a computer chip. And it's it's very exciting. But as far as, again, integration into the medical field goes, we're still not quite there yet. But in terms of integration into the medical field, as I just mentioned, the lowest tier of artificial intelligence is the one that's already the most ubiquitous in our society today. And that's the one we're going to be focusing on. And this tier is called artificial narrow intelligence, or ANI for short. It's also known as weak AI. And we witness AI in action when we see computers beat humans in chess or Jeopardy. So if you ever seen Watson on TV kicking everyone's butt at Jeopardy, that's that's AI in action. And furthermore, another example is self-driving cars. You know, the Google car that you may see driving down the street, it's a bunch of different AI programs that are working together to propel this car down the street. And the important thing to remember about AI is in its very name. Its focus is narrow, and it's kind of the specialist of artificial intelligence. It's really good at one specific thing, and that's it. Yeah, and you might think, like, oh, just one specific thing. Uh, you're like, how does that help? I mean, but A&I is basically what runs your iPhone or right. anything like that. It's mm-hmm. it, one program on its own isn't anything crazy. Like, of course, there's like Deep Blue, which is the program that can beat everybody at chess. Right. But um, and like it's impressive, but it's not like earth shattering kind of thing. But it's when you put a bunch of uh, A&I, A&I systems together, working together towards a common goal, but each doing their own part. The best they're kind of it's kind of like the Patriots of yeah, artificial so? intelligence. They all, yeah. every part does its job yeah, do and job. every yeah, part does exactly. its job so well yeah, right. that we end up with uh, some really powerful machines. So yeah, Hopefully we have some football fans out yeah, there. Hopefully, hopefully somebody got that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so an example of ANI is a program that like learns the basic anatomy of a human hand. 
Uh, you feed this algorithm an x-ray of a damaged hand, and it can almost instantly identify the areas that are injured by comparing the provided image to millions of other x-rays of healthy hands and identifying any major differences between the two. However, if you ask the program how this damage might affect the function of the hand, it just won't be able to give you a response. For that, we still need a human doctor to analyze the data that is spat out by the AI program. So now that you have a little background on AI in general, let's narrow our focus to its role in the field of medicine. All right. So um, in medicine, you've probably heard a little bit about it before. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of what you've heard about artificial intelligence in medicine is maybe negative because really the biggest roadblock for the implementation of AI into, the, into medicine is the many concerns that the public holds about it uh, for things like we said, like the Hollywood AI that we talked about at the beginning for fear it's going to be robots taking over our hospitals right. or things like that. Right. Um, so really it is kind of a problem of definition mm -hmm. and that's another reason why we wanted to talk about those definitions at the beginning to clear that part of the roadblock away. Yeah, right. Society definitely has some serious reservations when it comes to replacing our doctors with AI, right? And the important thing to remember about these reservations is that AI and doctors are not going to be switching, but rather they're going to be working together. And in the similar vein, one of the big concerns that have come out is that AI is less reliable than a doctor because it didn't have to go through, you know, all those years of grueling medical training in the medical school, in residency, and fellowship. Um, how can you replace that with a computer yeah. program, right? But what many people don't know about artificial intelligence is that it has to go through its own form of rigorous training before it can be used in any medical setting. So this is how it works. You create the algorithm, right? Programmers come out, they put together the AI algorithm, and uh, in order to make it effective, in, in order to make this algorithm good at its job, it's constantly fed data that's structured in a way that encourages the algorithm to learn a very specific task, like detection of differences in the x-ray of a hand, for example, like you br brought up earlier. So in other words, this fed data kind of functions as an exam for the AI algorithm. If it gets wrong answers on the exam, the programmers that designed the algorithm in the first place will keep tweaking it until it gets these answers right. And this whole cycle of testing and tweaking will continue until the algorithm is an expert in carrying out its specified role. So if you want to draw comparisons to, you know, training the algorithm and training doctors, same thing, you know, doctors take these tests, they do practicals, they learn from their mistakes, and they go back and fix whatever they got wrong. And then through that iterative process, that's how they become experts in their field. And similarly, that's how AI is learning all about the medical field themselves. And keep in mind that these kind of programs are artificial narrow intelligence, as we discussed earlier. So its strength would lie in completing a very specific task. Um, and studies have studies that have been done on these AI programs have concluded that they're able to complete these specific tasks much quicker and with much greater efficacy than a human doctor ever could have. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that uh, they're able to complete them a lot quicker. Right. I mean, we know how fast computers are, way mm -hmm. faster than doing much stuff faster. like math. Exactly. Than particularly me, I'm definitely faster <laughs> than doing math than me. Um, so I, I thought of something while you were saying that. Do you think that maybe like how there's the FDA that like has to approve drugs before right. they're used in public? Mm -hmm. Do you think there might be like a whole new kind of commission that has to approve an algorithm before it can be implemented into the medical field? So like 
So, like, basically, like you were talking about, these algorithms have to go to kind of class. They have to learn everything like that. Do Uh you think that maybe there will be a government agency or something like that that literally regulates these algorithms as they go in? So I think we're at the stage right now where um, it it hasn't gotten to the level of implementation where the government has felt the need to regulate these kind of things. But I can tell you down the line, AI and medicine are going to become intertwined to the level where there is going to be government regulation that's required. Yeah. So I can absolutely see an agency popping up that is essentially focused on regulating these AIs that are used in hospitals and clinics to treat patients to make sure that they're all functioning to the level that they're supposed to be. Just like, you know, there's regulatory boards to make sure the doctors are keeping up with their information, right? They have to take exams every once in a while to ensure that they're keeping up with everything. So I can totally see there being a commission to make sure that, you know, all our AI is yeah, that would, is working the that way it's supposed to. That would actually be really – that would be kind of cool too. It would oh, yeah. be like – because you'd think like AI might like take some jobs away. Like people are worried about that. That is a big thing. It absolutely I mean, is. you know the – if you know the one presidential – the Democratic presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, that's one of his biggest things right mm-hmm. now is like AI coming in and taking people's jobs. Right. But I think a lot of the time people also – I mean, of course this is true, but also it does open up some new jobs for right. people it, to take. It gives like, and People takes. would have to be hired – for this new commission that's going to have to do that. People are going to have to administer the tests of these artificial intelligence. It'll yeah. be interesting. We have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. But that's why it's exciting, I think, yeah. at it's least more of a It's more of a landscape change, yeah. I would say, rather than a replacement of one thing with another, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So another big concern when we talk about AI and medicine um, is the loss of human contact. In fact, an article by NPR says that the human touch may be a casualty of the advancement of AI. And casualty isn't a light word either. I mean, that's going to be the death of human contact if you bring AI into the medical field, which a lot of people are really worried about. And this article does a lot. Um, it does what a lot of us do when some new technology or process is on the rise. We think the worst case scenario, how it will completely take over every aspect of whatever field is being implemented in. Um, but personally, at least for me, I mean... I guess maybe it's because I'm not a boomer or whatever, <laughs> but I'd like to uh, I'd like to look at it in maybe a more positive light, um, and not in this broad and macabre perspective that it might take over the entire medical inju- industry, but instead on an instance to instance by case to identify where exactly it could be doing the most good. Right. It's it's important to remember that, like we mentioned, in especially as we're kind of starting to explore this whole implementation of AI in medicine. Um, it's going to be something that the doctors and the AI, they, they work together to kind of provide the best medical um, the best medical experience, I guess, for yeah. the patients as possible. So, um, I, did, I did like another article um, on Mendeley.com. Uh, this idea of taking it by an instance-to-instance case is put into practice and examines how AI could be used in specific areas in medicine to make life better for both patients and physicians. Um, As a matter of fact, in a 2016 study cited by this article, it was found that physicians uh, spend much more time entering data and doing desk work than they do actually interacting with the patients. And if you've ever been to a hospital or anything, you know this is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see doctors all the time working on paperwork and things like that. Um, if you ever watched a medical show, I mean, they don't focus on the yeah, paperwork. Yeah, they always, always ignore that part of the but job. But that, right? is, that is a huge part of the job. Um, I read a book called When the Air Hits Your Brain, um, which is about a neurosurgeon that was actually here at uh, UPMC Presby. Uh, it's a really good book if you want to check it out, if you're interested in neurosurgery or just learning what it takes uh, to be in that kind of field because he talks about his residency and things like that. But one of the big things is how he talks about how uh, the head resident, the chief resident or whatever, would dump all this paperwork off onto him and just how much of it he would mm-hmm. have to do. 
And yeah. that was that was in the 90s or whatever. So um, they didn't even have the computers that we have today. So I can't imagine how long that would have taken. So just to get that chance to take that part of the job, not away, but just make it so that the doctors can spend more time with the patients, I think could be huge. Um, the NPR article also acknowledges this fact, and I think that it is a telltale sign that even when viewed in a more negative light, this freeing up of doctors' time is seen as really the defining feature of bringing AI into the medical world. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, one of the biggest issues associated with the practice of medicine today is how, you know, administrative it's become. Just like you mentioned, I mean, doctors in the 90s may have had a lot of paperwork, but from what I've read, it's become an even bigger issue today. It's just mm-hmm. been a steady incline and they're just frankly overwhelmed at this point. They're spending less and less time interacting with their own patients face to face at the bedside and more time in their offices, stuck at their desks with piles of these administrative related and insurance related paperwork that they have to complete. And you know when you think about it, it seems like the kind of issue that AI with its ability to you know organize and parse this big data with ease was born to solve. Yeah. Um, By allowing AI to take over this administrative burden that physicians have on themselves, we won't only be freeing up their time, but their minds as well, if you think about it. You know, we know that physicians are stressed. It's one of the highest stress occupations that you can have. And um, Very Well Health lists administrative duties as one of the primary stressors on physicians today. So if we can use AI to take this burden off of their shoulders, these doctors are going to be able to better perform the most important part of their jobs, which is going to the bedside and saving these patients' lives rather than being stuck in their offices. Yeah, it it opens them up to do what they went to medical school to do. Exactly. Save lives and do what they love, too. They don't have to dread walking into work every day and like, oh, I have to go through 150 different patient files and make sure that, like, all of their data is in order and stuff. It could just be entered into a computer and the program does it for you. Um, And I think that could really be an awesome thing, both for the overall happiness of patients and doctors. Yeah, I feel like these are the kind of things that we should definitely be keeping in mind when we're considering the implementation of AI in medicine, right? In fact, rather than reducing the human touch in medicine, the the way it seems is that it's going to, in fact, increase the human touch because these physicians are going to be free to do what they were trained to do rather than be stuck doing these duties that the AI is going to now be able to take over. Yeah. Um, and it's not only in terms of just like patient data and things like administrative duties that this uh, capability of AI to understand massive amounts of data is going to help. Um Because an AI system could take every aspect of a person's physical state and family history, compare it to thousands of other cases, and spit out a list of the best possible treatments there. So this is a massive amount of data that people have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it could take doctors hours upon hours or days upon days to look through all of the different factors that are going into what this patient's experiencing and compare it to past cases and things like that. Um... And so if the AI could give you that list of best possible treatments, then the doctors can do what they do best, look at those possible treatments, and then they can use their own human judgment to decide which one they think is going to be best for the case because they actually get that hands-on, the physical human contact that we get that AI can't get. But just the fact that they're able to take in all that data and then give it back to the doctors in a way that they can understand concisely and then just have the best possible options at hand just faster than they would get them without any kind of AI. Right. And it might even be a better solution than what we have today because, you know, AI is going to be able to better objectively measure all these different risk factors and lifestyle factors that contribute to a person's well-being or not. So you wonder why, you know, 
visits to the doctor's office take so much time and it's in no small part due to the fact that the doctor has to take so much time to you know go through these extensive medical records and if we let the AI take that job over then they'll be able to spend more time with you face to face and they're going to be able to make a better decision because they're allowing this machine to objectively analyze this data and give them the best options based off of that. Yeah, and I think uh, another huge thing with this is not only are they going to get the best treatments, but the treatments they're going to get are going to be personalized. Yes. It's going to be personalized for everyone based on that data that the AI system is receiving. And it doesn't matter how many patients it is, the AI system is going to be able to understand all that information and sort it really well. Mm-hmm. It's going to allow for individual treatments for patients that are crafted with all their background and health info in mind without putting any more strain on physicians and pretty much taking away some of the strain that's placed on physicians there. Right. Um And then coming with this also, preventative medicine is something that people really talk about when it comes to AI. Like things like if you have an Apple Watch, uh, Series 4 or above, um, one of the big selling points was that it can actually analyze your heart rate and it can sense irregular heart rhythm and recommend seeking medical assistance. Mm -hmm. So it's not detecting, let's say, when you have a heart attack, but it's telling you that one could be coming or... um, anything like that. Like irregular heart rhythms is what it's great at. Um, There's multiple stories. You can look them up. Apple even has a whole commercial where people share stories of their heart conditions being caught by an Apple Watch. And that's all thanks to an artificial narrow intelligence system that's in your watch that's literally just keeping track of your heart rate, comparing it to what it normally is throughout the day, and then warning you of anything like that. In the future, might be able to warn a patient of a possible diabetic complication before Mm -hmm. symptoms are even felt because it could take in all the information, all of the person's blood glucose levels at all times, all the time, something that a human could never keep track of, Um, and just tell a patient that you're getting close to a risk or anything like that. Let doctors know, let the patient know that they should see a doctor, and you might not even have to have people in the emergency room and things like that as often because they'll be able to catch these things before they even start. Yeah, you know, movements like personalized medicine and preventative medicine are on such a rise today. There are things that even, you know, wet lab biomedical research is focusing on. You know, we're trying to, you know, develop drugs that are solely for individual patients or, you know, focusing specifically on how to prevent certain diseases. And it seems like the integration of AI into medicine is going to help with so much of this. It's not only going to make us better at analyzing the data that we receive, but it's going to help accelerate the process and bring, allow us to implement this into the clinics from the benchtop for research much more quickly. So that's something to consider as well. You know, as as we move forward and continue to do all this research and development on potential improvements to AI and medicine, we have to keep in mind that the most important thing we have to do is maintain a mutually beneficial relationship between the AI and the practicing doctor. That's going to always be the foremost priority. Uh, as it stands right now, you know, AI works fantastically to complement the physician's role in the hospital. And in the ways that we've discussed today, it seems like that's going to be the case as well. And that's going to hold. Um, however, this is a balance that has to be maintained, right? The potential of AI is endless, and we as human beings will continue to improve our technological abilities at the exponential rate that we do for everything else. Um, It's definitely an exciting prospect, but it comes with risks as well. So even as we stand at the brink of all these countless fantastic discoveries and breakthroughs, um, remaining wary is something that we have to be mindful of. Absolutely. So let's see, what, what did we learn today? We learned about artificial superintelligence, artificial general intelligence, and of course, artificial narrow intelligence, which is what we're going to be dealing with 
uh, for the foreseeable future, but those other types of artificial intelligence will certainly come later. Uh, we learned about some of the pros and some of the cons of artificial intelligence in medicine. We learned that you might need a federal commission that's going to regulate algorithms before they can go into the medical field. Um, and I know something we haven't really talked about in here uh, because I'm not a big hacker or whatever, but I know a lot of people might be concerned with all of this patient information being understood by machines and things like that, that people might be able to get a hold of it. But you do have to consider that most of our uh, information is on computers anyway. So it'll just be a matter of there's probably going to be more info, more info available uh, to possible data breaches and things like that. And that's, like you said at the very end there, we do have to remain wary. So as long as we put the right uh, kind of checks and balances on AI, I think that it can be a great thing. And I'm sure that a lot of you out there think so as well. Um, and like we said, if you have any other questions or anything like that, of course, we have that article, AI and Medicine, in the Pre-Health Spotlight Journal, uh, which is available right now on the website. Uh, that was written by Amon Rahman and Jade Chang. They did a great job um, on that article. And of course, you can check out some of the sources we mentioned, like the NPR article uh, or that Mendeley website that I talked about. There's a great article there. And I know some of your stuff was from the British uh, Journal the of British Medicine. The British Journal of Medicine, yeah. yeah. So you can take a look there. If you just Google AI and medicine, British Journal of Medicine, they give some great synopses and um, some explanations of some of the stuff we talked about in there. So there's tons to learn here, but this is what we took away from it. Um, we hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of the Pre-Health Spotlight podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed, like I said before, we really enjoyed uh, bringing this kind of information to you guys, and we want to really keep it up in the future. So Absolutely. look around. I don't know how often we're going to be doing these, maybe one with every release, maybe one weekly. Who knows? Depends on how much. We're both very busy people. Reach one more than me, I'm not going to lie. Uh, well. I play a little too much <laughs> Xbox. But anyway, um, we had a great time here. We hope you enjoyed. I say that all the time because it's true. We really do hope that you like what you were listening to. Um Feel free to read the actual magazine as well. Not only are there articles about AI and medicine, but there's a ton more articles. What are some of them again? Yeah, so some of the other articles we're covering is a comparison between MD and DO, maybe uh, immunology in rural medicine, uh, tons of different things like that. There's eight to ten articles that will be on our website. You'll be able to check those out. Um, they're very comprehensive. They're very helpful. They're geared towards helping pre-health students learn more about their fields, uh, gain the knowledge that they need to to uh, move forward in their careers, and we hope that they help. So definitely check those out. Yeah, um, they have some a couple interviews up as well uh, where they talk to like students in the pharmacy school, uh, physician scientists, things like that, so you can learn maybe what it takes to become that, what you need to do now as an undergrad, and all those great resources as well. So it's great to check out the website. Um, and currently, I'm not going to say anything about where you can find this podcast because since it's the first episode, I got to upload it and everything like that. So you might be listening on Apple Podcasts. You might be listening on Spotify. It might be on SoundCloud. Who knows? Um, but we will link any of the other places that you can check it out right. on the Pre-Health Spotlight website. So we're hoping to get this out everywhere. And once again, we hope you enjoyed. This is Garrett. And this is Ritwan. Thanks for listening.